to chapter 5 of Luke, um, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 16. We'll look at two stories today, the cleansing of the leper and the paralytic. And so I'll begin reading in verse 12, and Mary Jo, if you'll, let me make sure my clicker is working. Let's see. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So let me read for us. While he was in one of those cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I'd, I'd love to do a sermon just on that last verse of Jesus' practice of silence and solitude and prayer, but perhaps another time. Um, in this, in this story, the leprous man uh, comes to Jesus, is healed, and Jesus immediately sends him to the priest to show him his, his, the clean skin now and to have the sacrifice performed on his behalf that would restore him into covenant community according to the law of Moses. Uh, does anyone know what that sacrifice was, by the way? Well, if, if your guess was uh, involving two birds, cedar wood, some scarlet yarn, and hyssop, then you'd be correct. That's what it was. So 10 God points for you. Um, it's actually a pretty gruesome uh, sacrifice, to be honest. You can read all the gory details in Leviticus 14. Won't be in Kathy's child care curriculum. Um, in, in the Bible, the, the words translated leprosy are tsara'at in the Hebrew Old Testament and lepra in the Greek New Testament, from which we get the word leprosy. And hang with me here for a moment on this. So uh, when the Bible uses the word leprosy, it's not what you and I think of as leprosy. What you and I think of as modern-day leprosy, which is actually called Hansen's disease. Uh, when the Bible uses the word leprosy, it's actually um, a catch-all term for a variety of skin conditions, like lupus, psoriasis, ringworm, and others. So, uh, let's turn to Leviticus 13 and go back to the Old Testament here for just a moment. Leviticus 13, verse 2 says, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron and the priest or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. So as you read through Leviticus 13 and 14, you begin to realize, um, and most biblical scholars have acknowledged this now, that what we're really talking about here are a variety of skin conditions like lupus, psoriasis, ringworm, and others. Um, and I, I kind of debated whether doing this. I know some people get grossed out by pictures, but I'm actually just going to give you pictures of skin disorders. Can we do that? Um, and I know I'm going to get flack for this, but I actually kind of was like, I don't want to protect you from pain and suffering in humanity. 
So let's look at some pictures. Um, this is a picture of, of a type of psoriasis. Uh, here's another. Um, so psoriasis is an autoimmune disorder and in which the skin cells in your body rapidly reproduce in certain patches of your skin, producing inflamed and upraised areas. Um, it can be itchy, sometimes red and scaly patches of skin, other times kind of more white and dry patches of skin. Psoriasis is not contagious, interestingly. Um, here's a picture of ringworm. Ringworm is a fungus which has nothing to do with worms, and it is actually highly contagious. It can be treated fairly easily today. Um, here's a picture of someone with lupus. Uh, lupus actually affects nine out of 10 women. Uh, nine out of 10 people with lupus are female. Um, and it's also an autoimmune disease, which means that uh, that part of your body that's supposed to attack infection actually targets healthy tissue instead. And um, it causes fatigue oftentimes, uh, pain in various parts of the body, um, swelling, and discoloration of the skin. Um, so in Leviticus, what would happen is the individual would quarantine for seven days. And after a seven-day quarantine, the priest would examine the skin on their body and see if it's progressing or not. And so in Leviticus 13.22, it says, And if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. So, interestingly... What's, what you begin to find is that the, the declaration of unclean, which had lots of dramatic replications, specifically you were removed from the community, um, it really had to do with protecting the rest of the community. So if the priest looked at you and said, okay, it's, this is spreading, then as a measure to protect the rest of the community from potentially getting infected, you would be removed. Now, if it was staying in one place, as you see here, then they're saying, okay, well, it looks like it's not spreading. You don't seem to be a liability. You can stay around. And kind of counterintuitively, if it's actually Leviticus says, if you recover from head to foot with a skin disorder, then you could be pronounced clean. Again, the rationale being because it doesn't appear to be spreading anymore. It looks like it may have run its course. Again, ancient medicine here, to be, to be sure. Um, but Mark Strauss, a biblical scholar, says this. The descriptions of leprosy given in Leviticus 13 to 14 suggest a variety of skin disorders, including psoriasis, lupus, ringworm, and others. Because of the uncertainties in distinguishing highly contagious diseases from relatively harmless ones, the Old Testament set out strict guidelines for the examination and isolation of these skin disorders. So, and then in Leviticus 13, 45, and 46, we find out what it was like to be declared unclean. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside the camp. Now, can you imagine the psychological trauma of living this way? I mean, if you think about it, maybe just 
let's just fast forward to today. Say a friend of yours starts presenting some of the symptoms associated with lupus. And she starts feeling pain in different parts of her body, swelling, fatigue, um, discoloration on her skin. And as if that's not hard enough for her, we take her and remove her from all meaningful contact with friends and family with no expiration date. Maybe for years, who knows, until it goes away, where it appears to stop spreading. I mean, can you imagine the emotional and psychological pain of that and the trauma? And there are a few things that can break the human spirit more than an experience like that. And that's what these people were going through. How many, I'm just going to say it. How many of y'all know it was good news when the apostle John wrote, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That man experienced the inbreaking of God's kingdom that day through the touch of Jesus Christ. So here he comes. Here comes the leper from Luke chapter 5 with some kind of skin condition. Clothes torn, hair down his face, clothes above his upper lip. Just this image of dejection. And he comes to Jesus, and you can just wonder what is his emotion in this moment. I mean, the banner over his life is, he shall live alone, according to the Bible, right? But this time, this time he doesn't cry out, unclean, as commanded by the law of Moses, Eugene Peterson, I think, captured just the humanity and the desperation of that moment in the message when he, the man said this, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to. Be clean. So powerful. And the first thing Jesus does is restore this man back to community. He doesn't waste a second to bring this guy back into relationship with other people. Usually the first thing Jesus does after he heals someone or sets someone free is he says, go home. But this guy can't go home. Not yet. So Jesus sends him to the priest so he can present his clean skin to them. And they can perform the sacrifice on his behalf so that he can return home. So that he can be restored back to the life of covenant, community, and family again. And in this story, Jesus does more than simply give this guy back his skin. In Alabama speak, he gives this guy back his kin and restores him to family and friends. This guy gets to go home. Let me read us the next story, and then I'll, I'll bring these two together in the end. Luke 5.17 says, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I love that phrase. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, I feel like we should pause there. 
He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to him who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Um, so there's this weird thing about me, self-admittedly weird. Um, I get a kick out of attorney commercials. And I'll explain. Um, I just think it's, it, they just, I crack up every time, whether I'm listening to like an ad on the radio or a TV commercial, because this is like the, the general routine. Um, we've been fighting for, the, for families in Alabama for, for four decades. We, we'll, we'll fight for the little guy just like you. We've won however many millions of dollars in settlements for our clients. And then usually at the end of the commercial, there's some kind of fast-paced blurb that says something like this. The representation is made that the legal quality of services to be performed is greater than the legal quality of services performed by other lawyers, which is to say, we're not any better than anyone else. <laughs> and I, I kind of find myself going like, wait, so I, I shouldn't go with you, or I should go with you. I was listening to one the other day on the radio, and the attorney goes, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you you should go with us but I can tell you, you'd be a fool not to. <laughs> Jesus isn't mincing words in this story. He isn't playing word games with anyone. He means exactly what he says when he says what he says. Um, and basically, he pronounces forgiveness over this guy's sins. And just so that, you know, He's like, just, just remove any doubt, in case there's any doubt that I meant or said uh, what I meant to say when I forgave this guy's sins, I'll show you. It's just as effortless for me to forgive sins as it is to do this. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. There's no ambiguity. There aren't any word games. I love the simplicity of these two stories. If you want to, you can make me clean. I want to be clean. Man, your sins are forgiven you. I can imagine this scene. Jesus in Luke 5 is preaching a sermon in a crowded house. They can't get through the door because of the crowd. And in the middle of his sermon, suddenly pieces of thatch and mortar and clay start falling onto the ground and this is just a, a recreation of what it might have looked like. I mean, you can imagine that scene. Um, it's no wonder this story made it into the Gospels, because what a memorable, memorable day that must have been. Um, and suddenly this guy's just coming through the roof. This man's lowered into their midst. Jesus takes a look at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, you expect him to say, be healed, right? 
it's a, on the face of it, it's a bit like going to the doctor with a broken arm. The doctor takes a look at you and says, you know what you need? You need a hug. <laughs> right? I mean, like, at, the paralytic's need is obvious, right? Pieces of the roof are on the floor. A paralyzed man is now in the floor. Everyone's crowded against the walls. His paralysis couldn't be more obvious, or could it? Going through life unforgiven by the God of the universe, what could be more paralyzing than that? But only God forgives sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Thinks the Torah experts and the Pharisees. And come on, guys. I mean, at one level, who can blame them? If you go here, like, let's say you go here, a, a traveling preacher up in Trustville, you're jiving with the message, and then at some point he forgives someone their sins. You're like, I was hanging with him right up to the point he forgave that guy's sins. Right? And so perceiving their thoughts and that only God can forgive sins and agreeing with them on exactly that point. Jesus says, it's just as easy and effortless for me to forgive a man his sins as it is to do this. You rise up, take your mat, and go home. And then the room full of people just watches this guy get up, take his mat, and go home, effectively saying, I'm God. I, over 15 years ago, I was sitting in a class with Dave Malik, and he was teaching me how to interpret scripture. And by the way, Dave Malik is one of the most gifted Bible teachers I've ever sat under, and I've sat under some, some wonderful ones. Um, and he said this one day, it never left me. In a class time, he said, stories don't tell you their theology. They show you their theology. So the Apostle Paul, in an epistle, which is a letter, will say, the fullness of deity dwelt bodily in Jesus. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Whereas a story will have Jesus forgiving sins, put the question, who can forgive sins but God alone, and some of the characters, and then watch Jesus show how effortless it is to do it. Effectively saying, I'm God. By the way, yes, I did confess my love to Dave in the previous slide. So Jesus um, has this interesting and beautiful, I think, um, I don't know what the right word is, habit, practice, whatever, where after healing someone or delivering them, setting them free, he would say, go home. And in some ways, it's juxtaposed with the people that he calls to follow him in his itinerant ministry, like the disciples or the rich young ruler or the, the blind man from Jericho. Um, but the implication, of course, is that go home and follow me there. Go, he tells the leper. Show yourself to the priest, which he says the same thing in Luke 17 to the ten lepers. Go, show yourself to the priest. Again, because they can't yet go home until they've been cleared by the priest. So effectively, Jesus is sending them home. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home, he tells the paralytic, Luke 5, 24. To the demoniac, who after being delivered from a legion of demons, and just, guys, he begs Jesus to be allowed to go with him. And Jesus sends him away. He says, no, you can't come with me. 
He says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Luke 8, 39. To the woman with the issue of blood, after healing her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Referring to the man with the withered hand, he took him, healed him, and sent him away. Effectively, go, go back home. And even to the Samaritan leper in Luke chapter 17 who comes back when the others didn't to give thanks, even after that, he says, rise and go your way. Go your way. Go back on with life as the one encountered by me. And then there's these other stories where he doesn't necessarily tell people to go home, in part because they already are home. So, for example, Luke 4.39, Pastor Bart preached on this story recently of Jesus healing uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It says, he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose up and began to serve. I love these stories where Jesus heals someone, sets them free, touches them, and immediately they go on with the routines of life as someone encountered by Jesus. This woman wakes up and says, I've got guests in my home, and she becomes, she says, I'm going to be a good host and take care of my guests in my home gets immediately on with the living of life as the one encountered by Jesus. Luke 8:55, the raising of Jairus' daughter. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Let's give her a meal. Luke 9:42, in the healing of the demonized boy, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. I just love these, these moments. Jesus heals people and says, go back home. Go your way. And people just get back to the living of life back home, serving their guests, having a meal, a father and son restored. It's actually very earthy, isn't it? And... Let me read this quote to you by Tim Chalice, again, referring to the demoniac who begged to follow Jesus. He says, this man had encountered Jesus in a life-changing way, so Jesus told him to stay. Stay where you are. Find your friends and family and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Luke 8, 39, he says to him, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And, and I think sometimes we have a tendency to say, man, if only I lived back in those times where I could have encountered Jesus this way. None of these stories, I, I, and this is, I think, a, a really important <laughs> revelation. <laughs> None of these stories in the Gospels of Jesus encountering people are undone by the fact that he ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago. Anytime Jesus heals, delivers, sets free, forgives, heal, you know, loves, and sends you home, that's the Lord. In fact, Luke is so intent that we get exactly this point, that the very first healing story recorded in his second volume, the book of Acts, drives home this point, that it's still Jesus doing the healing. So Peter and John heal the man at the gate, right? And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we've made him walk? I mean, out the gate, 
Luke wants to ensure, you know, it's still Jesus doing the change, doing the encounter. His name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. You are the people in these stories. You know that, right? When you read the gospel. It's exactly who you are when you read these stories. And so to person after person that Jesus heals, sets free, forgives, delivers, cleanses, he says, go home. And to the demoniac set free from a legion of demons, the home Jesus sends him back to is his entire village and all the interpersonal relationships that made up his work and play before he was plagued by a legion of demons and separated from society. Go back to your local synagogue and town market and your friends and family there. At Fullness, we call this your spheres of influence. Pastor Bart has preached that message to us so often and so powerfully over the the years of this church. And that's exactly where you're sent. That's where Jesus wants the demoniac set free. Now, with modern-day transportation, this is a bit of a tangent, but, you know, with modern-day transportation, our home is a bit more geographically spread out than people who lived back then. Back then, your home and your spheres of influence consisted most of the time, not always, but most of the time, of people that you interact with on a daily or weekly basis that are within a mile or two of your house, right? And now, your home is a bit more geographically spread out than that. Um, your, what constitutes your spheres of influence. And so there's a sense in which your physical address and the people that live with you there are your home. And, and I think, certainly, in a primary sense, that's your home. Sure. There's also a sense in which your work community is your home. Some of y'all didn't want to hear that. There's a sense in which this faith family is your home. There's a sense in which Birmingham's your home. Nazareth was Jesus' home. And Jesus wanted this guy, set free from a legion of demons, to be a man set freed by Christ in his sphere of influence. And I, that is very important. He didn't just want this guy to go back to his home and be a more moral person there. It wasn't go back home and be a better man there. It's go back to your sphere of influence as the guy freed by Christ. Go back home, you who was once paralytic, as the man forgiven by the Son of Man. Go back home. Be home. Be in your sphere of influence as the person encountered by Jesus. And you know, it's often been said that the best missionaries are new, new Christians. Um, maybe in part because a new Christian just has this fire for Jesus. Jesus is real to them. There's this raw and, and fervent faith and conviction that Jesus is alive. Um, I'm meeting with a guy right now who's, uh, for the first time in his life, surrendered his life to Jesus. And it's just so much fun just to watch someone who's just filled with passion for Jesus for the first time. Um, But I want to broaden that statement a little bit. I think the best missionary is anyone who has a fresh and living revelation of the Jesus who said to you, I want to 
be clean. The best missionary is anyone who still has the words of Jesus ringing in your ears. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then you take that peace home with you. And then you go home well. Now sometimes you go home and they say, isn't this Joseph's son? That's what they said to Jesus when he went home to Nazareth. Pastor Bart preached on that text a few weeks ago and we looked at it in our time of prayer and fasting and there's a lot going on in that text, but one of the things there is that familiarity can breed contempt, as they say. And maybe you feel that way at your home. Maybe you feel that way at your, at your place of work. Yeah, that's just that guy. That's just that girl. Maybe you feel that way in your marriage. Maybe you feel that way with your kids or your roommates. And... That can certainly happen. It happened to the Son of God. <laughs> so don't beat yourself up too much there. But I do want to say this, is that when it comes to especially to our physical address and the people you live with there, we need to live there. Some people leave their family to live their life. We need to live there. We need to not just collapse there or survive there. You know, Jordan, oh, that's not me. <laughs> Jordan and Adeline are my favorite people and I don't want to give my favorite people my leftovers. About two years ago, I had, I had this moment where I said, I need to make a conscious um, decision every day as I'm driving home from work. Um, and I, I make a conscious decision on my way home that I'm going to be present to my wife. I'm going to connect with my daughter. And my goal isn't to veg or to decompress or to get some me time. I just want to be as helpful as I can. I just want to be a blessing. And, and I, I don't think that that actually is a very pious thing to say. I hope that doesn't make me necessarily look good. I just, I had to make a conscious decision. Um, it doesn't happen by default. Um, I go home bringing peace. I go home believing Jesus has made me well and wanting to be a blessing. One of the prayers that I pray, and I also do this when I go meet people for, for coffee or lunch, is I'll, in my car I'll just say, God, I just want to be a blessing. I just want to be a blessing. Take that prayer if that sounds like something for you. Um, I was with, uh, in our, our Friday morning men's prayer group, I was with uh, some of our men recently, and, and, and Rob, where, where are you, Rob? Uh, there you are. Uh, every time I call someone out, they're in the balcony. Um, so I was, and, and Rob, was, we were talking about marriage, and, and Rob said something so, uh, that really struck me, um, that after decades of marriage uh, to Jenny just said that you don't have to, uh, you don't have to, be you don't have to understand someone or a situation in order to behave lovingly with your spouse. 
Like, obviously, the goal is always to understand him or her, to understand where they're coming from, their feelings, their thoughts. That's always the goal. We're always working towards that. But you don't have to hold love hostage until you understand. You can be patient. You can be long-suffering. You can hold no record of wrongs. You can do all that's constituting love in 1 Corinthians 13. You can behave lovingly before you understand. And I thought that was such a powerful powerful message for marriage. By the way, Jenny, wherever you are, if any of that rubbed you wrong, I promise I mis- misrepresented Rob. <laughs> it's me, not him. Uh, he meant well, and he's trying to understand you. Um, but I thought that was so good. You don't have to, you can behave lovingly before you understand. In a moment, it, so good. Um, so let me just kind of bring, put a bow on, trying to put a bow on all this. Um, I do want to have a time for prayer here at the end. Guys, Jesus is saying to you, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Do we do that? Do you go to your places of work in peace? Do you go home in peace? Of course, we lose our peace at times. We all do. I get that. But my prayer for you is that that would increasingly be the exception in your life than the norm. Um... Because the shalom of God is for you. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Worry and anxiety have nothing to do with the way of Jesus. I know that sounds harsh. Um, Don't worry about tomorrow. That's what Jesus said. And I know at this point, there could be a lot of responses to that. Trust me, if I'm in a pastoral moment with someone who's, you know, lost somebody, I don't say stop worrying or whatever, you know. There's, you know what I mean. There's a time and place for this. But that's Jesus' word to you. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Carry peace. Walk in peace. And I know so, someone might respond, even my own inner critic can respond and say, Gabriel, are you saying I should just deny my emotions and quote Bible verses all day long? Well, guess what? I've tried that, and it doesn't work. What I want is for some of us to go home as Jesus would have you go home, to go home clean, to go home forgiven, to go home loved, to go home well. And that when you get home, you keep reaching out to him with the same faith that made you well. That you keep saying, if you want to, you can make me clean. If you want to, you can touch my marriage. You can save my coworker. You can shake this soul loose of the trappings of this age and set my heart free to love. If you want to, you can make me clean. And then as you posture your heart before the Lord in that way, the resounding voice is, I want to. Craig, I want to go and invite you up. I want to just take a moment together just to receive prayer, just to receive prayer ministry this morning. And so if you're here, let's just go and stand. If you're here this morning and you're just saying, this is what I want. I, I want to receive and go home as Jesus would have me go home. 
the, the front is open, just go ahead and start making your way forward. And we're going to have our prayer ministry teams come. Just go ahead, just please, just go ahead and come. Come forward and receive prayer today. God, we just welcome your Holy Spirit as we receive from you even now, Lord. Would you commission us? Would you touch us? Would you send us home as you would have us go home, Lord? Meet with your people this day. In Jesus' name. I just want to go and invite prayer ministry teams to come forward to pray for those who would like prayer today. And we're just going to continue and worship as Craig leads us.